0: Hi, I'm Simon Jones.
1: And I'm Steph McKenna.
0: You're listening to episode 82 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing. We're a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. We're recording this on the 5th of March, 2020 here in Dragon Hall. And today we are joined by Vicky Maitland. Hello. Hello, Vicky.
2: How are you?
0: We're good. What have you been working on recently?
2: um bits and bobs lots of bits and bobs um the other weekend i took a group of teenagers to the verb poetry festival up oh, in yeah. birmingham that was very lovely it was a, for most of them it was their first time going to any kind of literary festival let alone a literary festival that's only focused on poetry um and i think it was really eye-opening and enjoyable for them so yeah that's been the big thing on my plate recently
0: Excellent. Yeah, and of course none of us are going to London Book Fair next no, week.
1: No, fortunately well, hopefully everyone got the memo. I feel bad for anyone who didn't turning up. Just
0: knocking on the door. Just knocking on the door. Desperately room. trying to get in.
1: Yes, no, that's that's yeah, shelled some work for us, hasn't it?
0: It has, yeah. Um yeah, all the coronavirus stuff hasn't affected any of our events yet. No it hasn't. It on hasn't. As normal.
1: We're pretty we're pretty safe in Norwich. At Touchwood ATM.
0: On the podcast this week, we have Lena Norms, who was here at Dragon Hall a few weeks ago to do a workshop on how to create an author platform and handle your online presence. Lena is a prominent booktuber, which is why, Vicky, we have you on the podcast.
2: As a resident young person who yes. knows about booktube and stuff.
0: Exactly. So, uh, Lena obviously talks about booktube, but I think you were probably our, our connection into that world in the first place
2: yes um I but I grew up in the YouTube era and as someone who loves books booktube was a nice little corner of the internet for me and I um, still do continue to watch booktube every so often but definitely throughout my university days I would be watching non-stop to get all the latest book recommendations hear news from the publishing industry and um, just hear other people enthused about books really is it is booktube a
1: specific channel on YouTube or is it the the collection of you know anyone youtubing about books?
2: Yeah, it's more the group of people who make YouTube videos about books call themselves BookTube. I believe it was the YouTuber Ariel Bissett who like founded the name or christened the community. Brilliant. Um, coined the phrase. Coined the if phrase, you will. as it were, um, and it took off. And now everyone who makes videos on the internet about books calls themselves a BookTuber. And you also get Bookstagram, which is the Instagram version. These are things
1: I need to check out a bit more, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's
2: not a Twitter one, I don't think. I might be wrong. Answer on a postcard, if I am.
0: Lena talks a lot about uh, both her booktubing and also her kind of parallel career in more traditional publishing, working for various publishing houses. It's really interesting how those two things have kind of gone hand in hand over the years. Mm -hmm. She talks about crowdfunding and Patreon and how creators can use that to advantage. And there's a lot in here, which is, this is a theme that keeps coming up on different podcasts, actually, which is about taking her work more seriously. And when she made that decision, rather than the YouTube thing being a kind of a background hobby or something, she decided, right, this is going to be something I'm doing properly. So she
1: commit a bit more. Yeah, which
0: is something Cat Woodward was talking about a couple of mm-hmm. episodes back, where there was that moment where she was like, right, I'm going to take my poetry seriously. And I think that's a moment that writers get to mm-hmm. at some point.
1: I can imagine it can be made into quite a hurdle as well in your own head when you're thinking like when is the right time to start. Um so some kind of guidance from other people who've been there already sounds like. Yeah. An excellent time. Yes,
0: and there's some really good advice in here about how to handle online abuse if you are unfortunate enough to encounter that kind of thing. Um and kind of what to expect from online communities, both the good and the bad. So uh, yes, here's me talking with Lena a few weeks back. Thanks for joining us, Lena. That's okay. Happy um, to be here. Before we go any further, I'm, I'm pretty sure there will be people listening who don't know what BookTube is ah. and what a BookTuber is.
3: <laughs> it's a wild mammal <laughs> only seen in the Isle of Skye. Um, no, BookTube is basically a way of people uh, shorthand referring to the book community that's over about 15 years grown on YouTube and so it basically started with lots of people like me Um, I started it when I was at university when I was 19 um, just talking about the books that I'd read at university because I didn't feel like I was clever enough to get onto a English degree I didn't apply for university when I first left school and I just felt like it was really inaccessible so when I got there I was like I'm gonna make some videos that I would have liked to have watched when I was worried about going to university and studying English even though I haven't read that many books (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I made videos like talking through the books that I was reading uh, and lots of other people did stuff that was very similar around that time and as the years have gone on there's been a lot of like other channels come up people have got really big and people do things like book hauls where they talk about the books that they have bought really slowly and just talk about them it's quite relaxing i would recommend it um and then also like review books interview authors um generally get excited about books or debate books um yeah it's really cool even my, my friend uh, Ariel Bassett, who's a booktuber uh, does a video every year where she predicts the Goodreads color challenge color for the <laughs> year and she does it through like, lots of different methods it's all like for fun obviously it's silly but like it's, it's really funny and there's very specific parts of booktube as well uh, that you can get into but yeah it's basically people on the internet mainly on YouTube talking about books, books. in yes. video form
0: yeah and I find that really interesting because I think as tends to be the case with YouTube rather than Organisations kind of carrying on doing their thing. There, it's individuals who have sort of picked up the challenge and, mm. and run with it. Um, yeah. And if you said it's been going for about fifteen years, which is mm-hmm. about as long as YouTube. Pretty has much been yeah. going.
3: Yeah. Actually, maybe it's actually longer than YouTube. I think I calculated that wrong. When did YouTube start? It was anyway, like two thousand four. Two thousand four. Two thousand four
0: five. Okay, cool, cool. But it was rubbish. Yeah, yeah, for like yeah. Like yeah. Three years. It was just like zoo videos, yes. wasn't it? that zoo video. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but I think there's probably even now uh, a bit of a misconception that youtube is just the cat videos yes definitely um, and the fact that these kind of subcultures almost have emerged mm. uh, so I, I was very familiar in my previous role um with the kind of visual effects and filmmaking side of youtube yeah which is amazing and you, the kind of creativity that comes out of that is astonishing um and i think booktube initially Passed me by a bit until I worked here, and I was like, "Oh, this is whole whole other thing." Yeah, it's really weird. You go
3: into these different. Have you ever seen um the Magician's Nephew, which is the first in the Narnia series? And um, they go into this forest, and there's loads of different pools in the forest, and every pool is like a different world, and (laughs) you can like step in it, like you're stepping in a puddle, and you fall into a world. That's what YouTube is. It's really weird.
0: Yeah, the idea that you can sort of describe what YouTube is yes. in a singular way. It doesn't yeah. really make sense anymore. No, definitely. No. Um, so the whole time that you, you were developing your YouTube channel and, mm-hmm. and doing the BookTube thing, you were kind of in parallel also pursuing a career in publishing Yes, as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was curious about that path and how that sort of intersected with the YouTube stuff and were they connected or yeah, coincidental? Or?
3: Well, I think it did intersect. I think I like, I like to think I could have done it without it, but like it's, interesting so when I was interning and in publishing I was able to one give them more information about a community they didn't really have that much of an idea of at the time so in like 2012 2013 like I could be like do you know what booktube is if we send books out to these booktubers they might talk about them and then we'll get book sales and that was really interesting for them to learn about that but then also it was a way for me to be able to go in and be like look I already know how to work with metadata, I know how to title a video so people will click on it, which is kind of like how to title a book so people will read it. <laughs> I know how to put an image on a, on a video so people will watch it and summarize the video in one image, which is kind of like what you do with a book cover. <laughs> you know, there's lots of stuff like that that you can also relate to the book world quite easily because it essentially it is still publishing. or still publishing mm-hmm. something. When you upload a YouTube video, you have to click a button that says publish. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing in a scary way. Um, obviously like different in a lot of ways but as I've gone, as I have like progressed as a like YouTuber or a booktuber, I've been much more about storytelling and it actually is a lot more like writing a narrative and and then putting some visuals to it and uploading it. And I have uploaded a lot of my poetry there so I've read the poetry out and then found, found visuals and made a video out of it and uploaded it. But I've also like told stories about climate change through books and my own life and, and told stories there as well. So I think it's like It's definitely like that the act of uploading to YouTube is kind of like the publishing world and the act of making a YouTube video is kind of like writing. Yes, yeah. (laughs) I would argue.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think Um, it's it's an interesting parallel to discussions about self-publishing books as well, where I think the perception early on was that it was a way to kind of bypass Mm. a lot of the processes of traditional publishing and then over time, yeah. there's been a realisation that actually, if you want to have success and, and be a professional sort of publisher, you have to employ a lot of the techniques that the traditional publishers have perfected over the years anyway. Yes. Uh-oh. I,
3: am um, recently, so I have published, self-published a poetry collection, which is, I kind of, I call it a poetry zine because that's really what you're getting. It's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't have a spine. <laughs> um, so, um, I self-published that and it was interesting to do all the, the stages that I've done professionally, most of the stages I've done, but, but doing it on a really small scale and myself. So I, I've sold like nearly two and a half thousand and I had to package all of those up in my flat
2: in <laughs>
3: London, um, you know, so, um, and like the marketing of it, like make, like. Answering customer questions when people don't get their packages, have to do all that. Yep. Have to do all the like actually going to the post office and like putting every single one through the post office machine. Like you have to do everything, and it's it's interesting to see it from that perspective. And like commissioning your own cover, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. But um
0: that's a great cover, though.
3: Oh, thanks. It's not I, too bad. I was, I was looking at it earlier. It's really nice. <laughs> yeah, Emma Hayden did it. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who's listening should look her up. She's very good.
0: Excellent. Um, and in terms of all of this, both the 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 publishing career and mm. the youtube stuff um was there a plan was this like at university this really my like, evil plan right, <laughs> this is this is my next ten years or <laughs> um is it something that evolved it's time? definitely
3: something that evolved, so I kind of like when I left my undergrad I kind of like. Did want to work in publishing, but also like maybe wanted to do a PhD or I wanted to like just be a writer and do writing. And I ended up doing publishing um, because I did an internship at Icon Books, which is a small independent publisher and absolutely loved it and was like all in, like no going back. Like um, I was really lucky that somebody quit when I was interning there. And then I just smiled enough and was helpful enough <laughs> and did, walked enough dogs and, you know, that they, they kept me on, um, which was really, really great. And I was really lucky. Um, so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was originally part of the plan, but it's always integrated with what I've done. And like I went, I did, I used to be a creative producer at Pam McMillan, where I um, did a series for them called Book Break, which was me basically doing BookTube, but for a publishing house. And I like went to Cornwall with Kate Morton and we did loads of like going around some of the places that her book was set um did loads of did like um uh stuff with Joe Wicks about his health books and lots of stuff like that that was like a bit like left field from like normal book marketing Mm -hmm. but was like cool and useful and I think that it's nice when publishers have like faces like people that they can see work at the publishing house and see the mechanisms behind publishing in the same way that people are interested in what writers do I think people are also interested in like what publishers do because most people don't really know which mm-hmm. is fair because <laughs> it's quite people don't I think a lot of people in publishing don't take time to shout about it because they're so frantically doing it <laughs> they very <laughs> rarely will show you what they're doing and so then then it seems in, invisible <laughs> um, but yeah 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 I think so even, yeah. If,
0: even if you're a reader and you're not a writer you know if you're passionate about books you're going to be interested in how yeah. the book ended up being in your hands. Mm,
3: and lots of people, like even people who don't think they're interested in publishing do have opinions on whether paperbacks have flaps on them or not, <laughs> or whether the pe- or the other should be perforated or like whether it should have foil on it. That's all, a, they're all publishing choices. Mm-hmm. They are interested in publishing. They just don't know that they are. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. Um, it's interesting how you develop these skills kind of at the right time, you know, you were doing mm-hmm. this stuff as YouTube itself was emerging as well. And you were, and... I think social media and these online platforms are so volatile in terms of how they're constantly tinkering mm. and tweaking with things that actually for a lot of these publishing houses getting someone in who had that direct experience and was already doing it and had been for years must have been so valuable because if, if um, you know someone who's maybe worked in marketing for the previous 20 years mm. trying to catch up with this stuff and then keep on top of it is so difficult
3: yeah it's, it's i think it's hard to pivot for a lot of people but i think there's probably a uh, a golden skill that that is slowly fading because now everybody knows. I use social media a little bit, don't <laughs> they? You know, and there's, I think it's becoming progressively probably less of a prodigy thing. But at the time, yeah, there was a very few people who like could have has like a showcase of things that they can be like look I did the thing do you want me to do the thing for you because I've already done the thing you know like it's very it's a very simple sell, I guess um but yeah I've really enjoyed it and I think um more and more publishers are cottoning onto it and, and being really clever about the way they use it and I think um it'll it's going to be really important for the future of publishing because authors now have the power to self-publish so really I my personal view is um publishers it's really useful for publishers to be able to transparently show all the work that goes into getting their books into shops and what they do and how long it takes and how many people it takes to make a book, because that's a really good way of explaining to people how important it is and how it's hard to do it on your own. And it's totally good to do it on your own, but it's, it's a, it's a whole other job. Like you're doubling, you're tripling your work. You're quadrupling your work.
0: It's not just uploading Um, to Amazon and pressing a button. Yes, it is
3: definitely. Yeah, I wish. (laughs) Um,
2: But yeah.
0: I noticed in one of your videos, you mentioned, I think it was a recent video, but you mentioned how you've been doing the booktube thing for about 10 years, mm. but that you'd only really started doing it seriously in the last, say, three years. Yes. Um, what What caused that change?
3: Well, I'm not a very serious person. <laughs> so I think <laughs> when I'm probably saying that now, I'm like, do I even do it seriously now? <laughs> but negative. I do it seriously because there is like the, you know, um, all like time is a privilege and you have to buy time and i'm really lucky that some people will help me fund my time <laughs> to do it you know and that's something that's like i don't need fancy equipment i'm not asking for a studio or a team but i just need the literal time mm. to make these videos so i'm I've, i about two and a half years ago i set up a thing called patreon uh, which is really great for like so many different kinds of artists like musicians use it a lot um illustrators use it um youtubers use it essayists use it writers use it and it's a way of tipping people for the things they make so at the moment about eight hundred people tip me one dollar per thing um that i make and um obviously that's incremental so not every single like you can cap how many it is a month. So some Watch. people will give me a dollar per month.
0: You're not just putting out like a one No, 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 no. Day, I, can't, <laughs> I can't just then
3: upload a video every single day and be a millionaire. It's more like, I. you can say, oh, I want to give a dollar per thing, but I only want to give $2 in total. So they'll give a dollar for the first thing and not for, this, and for the second thing, but not for the third thing. Yep. Does that make sense? It anyway, does. so I upload about four or five videos um, a month and people tip me for them, which is really amazing. Obviously like there's lots of fees. So Patreon gets a lot of that. <laughs> Um the, the tax people get a lot of that. Some conversion stuff gets a lot of that. Thank you to Brexit, it's even less now because <laughs> yeah. it's paid for from America, so the dollar. Anyway, um, so I'm really lucky in that that's the way I guess I've been able to take it more seriously is because I can't, I'm somebody who makes um, videos about politics and social change and books. And that's not something that many sponsors are very interested in pursuing. (laughs) Adidas is not knocking on my door. (laughs) And if they did, I'd tell them to go away (laughs) Mm because they use sweatshops. But like, um, there's a a moral element to it where there's lots of ways that other people can fund their art that that I just can't because uh, like, it wouldn't make sense with the content that I do. And with publishing is really great. And I do often take sponsorships from publishers, but they obviously have a lot smaller budgets than maybe like a face cream brand might or a car brand um so the the crowdfunding is a really valuable way that people can help art happen um that isn't just necessarily what huge companies want to happen um so yeah that's how i've been taking it more seriously and it's given me more time i still I, i'd say like i'm probably two, 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 three days a week doing youtube Two days a week, I work at Penguin Random House as mm-hmm. a creative producer, and then uh, two days a week, I do freelance stuff behind the scenes for other people. That you yeah. will not know it's me. <laughs> but I'm behind there.
2: <laughs> Prince ghost
3: Prince. writing. Um, so yeah. So I, well, not ghost writing, but I, I do like social media and and trailers for people and podcast producing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's weird patchwork of things Mix of stuff. but i guess i am taking myself more seriously but like i said it. that yes.
0: and um, is it patreon uh, that has helped kind of create that balance
3: yeah definitely and i think some people think it's a risky thing but then i think uh, any job is risky and i think there's lots of places that i've been in where redundancies have been like a normal common thing and when you have your when 800 people are all like rooting for you Odds on, not all of those people are going to go away on the same day at the same time. So it is risky. But I also think that, you know, obviously I have other financial backups, like doing my freelance work and like that kind of thing. So while I I don't have like a, you know, a secret uncle (laughs) that's like feeding me, I want a rich (laughs) uncle. (laughs) Um, But like, I don't have any of that. I have like this, I think, pooling your... um, revenue streams into lots of different places mean that it's actually probably more secure than having one job (laughs) that could one day be like, do you know what? No more. (laughs) Um, So yeah, yeah, I think it depends. But I think like for creatives, um, it's like, it's really cool.
0: Yeah, I think crowdfunding is something that we've not really covered on the podcast before Mm. when it's a really interesting avenue for writers. Mm. Uh, You know, we talk a lot about traditional publishing and self-publishing in terms of in the kind of Kindle Kind of style of self-publishing but yeah the whole other angle of people who crowdfund their work mm. on a kind of piece-by-piece basis is, is something that we probably should talk about more
3: yeah definitely um, and I think it's interesting because there's obviously a balance between things that aren't very popular and not a lot of people realize they want should probably still exist mm. but also I think maybe publishers and writers might it makes them think a little bit more about what people really want to hear about and what they haven't heard about before. So say like with Unbound, who are the publishing house that like do a lot of crowdfunding around their books, it's really interesting to know that before you publish the book, at least 500 people really want to know about the really specific nonfiction topic or, you know, they want to hear from this specific person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool that art, you know, while things shouldn't be ruled by the crowd, I think like it's cool that, people are listening to the stuff that people are missing, especially around diversity and around, you know, really specific topics that, you know, I think there's a lot of nonfiction topics that have so thoroughly already been covered. (laughs) And I keep seeing the same book come out every year and I'm like, why are we doing this? So I think it's cool that um, people can have a say in the stuff that they want to read and yeah, how they want to read it.
0: So today you've been here at Dragon Hall talking about writers and their online presence Mm. or potentially lack thereof yes um, and I, I kind of sense that a lot of people either basically are not doing anything mm. and are terrified of the prospect uh, either terrified or think that it's going to interfere with the writing or it's they're not technical technically minded mm. enough to do it um, or you've got uh, the other group of people i probably put myself in here which who are doing various bits and pieces and are slightly annoyed that it's not working as well as they'd hope yeah um, so in terms of that kind of online presence, I mean, where, mm. where, where should people even start? Yeah,
3: well, I think what I was saying in the workshop was, like, turning up is really important. And just being, I think, at at this point, like, having a Twitter page and an Instagram page, even if you don't check it that often, it's kind of just like having a letterbox. Or, <laughs> <laughs> like, having an email address. Like, it's just, like, where people could potentially contact you should they be interested in doing so. And... Um, Uh, I I talked about it in the talk as like being like tidy your living room because everybody is coming over (laughs) like have a thing where it's just like here's your here's your front room where you show people who you are what you do you provide all the links that they might already be curious in and just to try to find the link to the thing that you do and your email address so people can find your email address (laughs) like it's really simple stuff and um I think as well that like you don't have to be on them all the time. So you can get email alerts for when people tweet you. If you if you're new to Twitter and you don't think people are going to tweet you that much and you don't want to check it every day, you can just get an email alert. So you don't actually need to ever log into Twitter if you want to know if somebody is messaging you. Um and I think I I treat Twitter and, and Instagram and stuff like a web page now. It's like really a free web page. It's a really simple way of showing that you're there and I think that especially if you're an author or somebody who's creative there probably are going to be people who are talking about your work so it'd be nice for you to be around for that to see all the nice things and they're usually nice <laughs> I think there's this, there's obviously like a bit of a skew in how, how common like negative stuff is because obviously when it happens it can sometimes blow up or a big author might share a really bad tweet that somebody's tweeted at them and then it might feel like that's a very common thing and something that's a real threat that could happen to you like right now and actually it's very unusual mm-hmm. I think it takes a very special kind of person to go on Twitter and like at the author and tell them how horrible their book is <laughs> like it's not really about you at that point is it so um, I think it's really good to turn up for those spaces because you're probably going to get a lot of encouragement and um, it's a nice way to like thank people for the stuff that they're doing around your book whether that's being your publicist being your marketer uh, being your best friend who's tweeting about your book being a random person who saw you at an event and then read your book and liked it it's a gratitude thing as well of like just having a page and then maybe every week going in every month going in and just being like thank you for tweeting about my book that means so much to people and it's such a like good human connector and i think sometimes people see twitter as just like a digital space and it's like Mm -hmm. a digital space that real human flesh people turn up to (laughs) so at what point is it only digital (laughs) yeah on the other Um, end
0: somewhere is a a person a
3: person is in the other end of the screen so i think um it's nice for that even if you don't want to tweet all the time and um yeah it's just it's a really great tool i think that's sad to be missed out on even if you don't want to be on every day and get addicted
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've drastically reduced my Twitter usage yeah, of good. late. So I'm trying to do, it's similar to what you said, actually, you're treating it as you know, a, a, a website, inbox. almost mm. an inbox. Yeah, so you can interact with people, but don't, yeah. don't get sucked into things that have nothing to do yeah. with you, that kind of stress <laughs> you out. Exactly, you know, Which preach. has been quite a few in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think maintaining that balance between how you sort of stay involved to a degree, mm. but without it taking over, yeah. Is is where people that, that's the challenge really. And mm. also if you're not doing it yet, it's the fear that you'll end mm. up on Twitter every day, all day, instead of actually doing yeah. the writing that you should be doing.
3: Yeah, and I think there are obviously like sometimes I'll see authors on Twitter that I'm like, Oh, I know you've got a book deadline in three <laughs> weeks, my friend. What yeah. are you doing on here again? Yeah, like
0: we're still waiting for book four. Where's <laughs> yes, book four? Exactly.
3: <laughs> so there's definitely a danger of that, but I think that's about becoming social media literate mm. in the same way that you would with any other skill and like knowing when to stop. Refreshing your email is a good skill to have. I learned it a long time ago. Then a few years later, I learned how to stop refreshing my Twitter feed, you know, and there's also learned how to stop eating all the chocolate cake, although I still do that. So let me know what the hack is for that. But, um, yeah, yeah. speak that one out no, nobody speak. Yeah, that's the age old question. Hopefully humanity will get to that eventually. But, um, yeah, I don't think it is. It doesn't, you don't need to, to do that. And I think also like um, some, so for brands and then also sometimes for myself, I'll use um, stuff like a website called Hootsuite or one called later.com where you can go on and you can schedule all your tweets for the week, for the month, for the year, if you want. And you can think, right, what are the five things I want to tweet about this week? Or I want to share or want people to see. And then you can schedule them to go out. And then you can log off and you can not think about it ever again. And all the tweets will go out. You will be active on social media. (laughs) But you won't have had to have been there. Um, So there's lots of tools like that you can use to not be on it every day. And not having the apps on your phone is a good one as well. Just using the desktop versions Mm -hmm. um, is, is really great. So yeah, I think it depends. And I think... It's finding a platform that you get and that you genuinely enjoy. It won't be all of them. No. <laughs> um, my one is Instagram. That's the one I put the most effort into. And I, it doesn't feel like a chore to check in on it. Yeah.
0: But. I, mean, I found because I do a lot of writing and put it up on a, a place called Wattpad. Mm, um, yeah. And I found overwhelmingly the, the kind of feedback is, is positive mm. uh, and actually is, is both useful, but also just uh, the fact that there are people there sort of engaging with my stuff mm. helps me to make more stuff yes it's, you know it actively helps my productivity yeah yeah. Um, which if I was just writing alone in, in a study somewhere and no one was allowed to see it uh, yeah. I find that much harder um, so yeah that little bit of kind of interaction with
3: yeah it's nice and also sometimes like feedback so you can be like I, what, what I'm trying to write um, a book and I was like right at the beginning of the process I was like Here's a, here's a female name. Can you give me all of the associations you have with this name? And people are like, stuck up, rich, don't like her, mean. And I'm like, okay, this this name has no association for me, but obviously it has a lot of associations for other people. I'm going to use a different name. You know, like stuff like that. Or like, I'm trying to write a character that's really kind. Like, you know, what? I don't know. Just the stuff. this interesting research stuff you can do around... It as well and also like sometimes i'll be like i'm trying to make a video about this thing does anybody have any useful articles i should see on it before i make the video and then people will often link me to stuff that i wouldn't have seen before that is outside of my echo chamber hmm. um so i think it's good if you're especially if you're like writing non-fiction and you're like has this already been written about <laughs> Am I the person to write about this? Yes, <laughs> you am, know? am I the expert? Yes, am I the expert? <laughs> uh, is a good just tweet that
0: yes
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see what comes back uh,
0: in terms of you know, being a prominent youtuber, mm-hmm. uh, YouTube in particular has a rep for having a hostile comment space. Mm-hmm. Um, has that been your experience?
3: Uh, occasionally, depending Mm. on the video topic, they're very rarely my audience. And that's what's important to remember is that it's rarely the people that if you, if you build an audience, it won't be those people that are being mean to you. Or if they are, they'll probably do it in a really constructive way. Um, which I've always found really useful. So there have been people who are like, Hey Lena, I've watched your videos for ages. I found this video really missed out some points. Here are some of them. I'd really appreciate if when you talk about it again, you could say that. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I need that. Thank you. <laughs> um, the people who have sent me like death threats and rape threats and all that kind of stuff, like they're not the people that follow me. Mm-hmm. I just know. And uh, they're really easy to block. And I said so also YouTube has a good filter now that's on comments. So you literally can just like filter out. If people use certain words, mm-hmm then um, they don't come up. I don't see them. I can open the folder with yeah. the banned comments in them if I'm having a particularly yeah. <laughs> self sabotage kind of just day. Just to indulge yourself. Just to bit. check. Um, but, but mainly, I, there's lots of words that they will usually use, so I just put all those words into the filter and then I never see them. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that's, I think it's also good to have people around you that have similar stuff to you. So I've got a lot of friends that have YouTube channels that might make videos on feminism or talk about like the British empire and racism. And that's when the people will filter in somehow. They're just looking for videos like Mm. that. Um, So I can, we can either swap comment sections. So I will moderate their comment section for a little bit and they can moderate mine. Then I don't have to see the stuff that's actually directed at me. And because it's a different thing. sounds
0: like a healthy way to do it. Yeah.
3: Or or like, you can also just be like, Oh, I feel like everybody's telling me that I'm fat. Like, is that what's happening to you? And they're like, yeah, they say that to everyone. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, it's fine. It's not personal. You know, yeah. the stuff like that that I think is like useful to build a community around. But it's it's rare and it really doesn't happen that much anymore. Like it's happened on a few videos but it's always the same videos yeah. that have been pub- published in some kind of subreddit.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it's always, kind of always the same comments as well. It's always Like the same comments. just coming out of a playbook. Or well, I actually think know. that
3: they're like bots or they're mm. like people, the same person.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> in different, <laughs> different usernames. But um. I think it's just it's also like been very useful for me because i've built up like quite a thick skin around it and it means that if at work people are like lena didn't love that tweet you did i'm like okay (laughs) not the worst thing i've ever heard about you know (laughs) like it's actually probably quite healthy and again like there's a really good podcast, actually, if you like a podcast called Conversations with People Who Hate Me uh, by Dylan Merrin. And he, like, rings up the people who send him hate comments and tries to have, com- like, productive conversations with them. And it's really healing if you're ever, like, why... White- if somebody's being horrible-, horrible to you on the internet and they don't have a face on their avatar, like, listening to a podcast like that and really using your imagination about wh- where somebody might be in their life for them to leave a comment like that yeah. is um, way, like, really yeah preservative and nice for your brain
0: yeah interesting yeah I found Um, having a kind of a career in my 20s when I was mm. fairly prominent online Mm. it does put interactions with people in in the offline world into a, a different context yeah yeah Generally, exactly it makes them seem <laughs> slightly less intense but. yeah definitely yeah in terms of how writers can start to cons- and whether they even should but how they can start to consider themselves almost as a brand mm. and their book as a product and mm. these are kind of anathema to some people yeah. where you know it's their creative art and yeah and I think this is you know where publishers are useful because they can do that the, the dirty yeah, that's what, stuff, that's what they're for. You know, yeah. um, when actually increasingly publishers would like authors to have this presence mm. of their own, And is there, is there a particular way that people can mm. kind of create that kind of brand persona so that? there's a yeah, like, yeah. distance is that a, a good way to go about it i think
3: it's good i think branding is just something that everybody has to like grapple with and think about in their own way and i don't think it's always bad like sometimes people are like it's not my it's not it's not product it's my art and i'm mm. like yes but every product is kind of art and like it depends if you're somebody who really loves a product then it won't just be a product to you it will be do you know what i mean There's like you know there's some i don't know people like lush bath bombs and they wouldn't call them products they'd call them art because they really <laughs> like them and they actually did take a lot of science and art and, and thought and and, and creativity to, to put into them not that i'm saying books are bath bombs but i'm <laughs> saying that like calm down a product doesn't mean that it's a bad product it just means that it's a thing that somebody can physically hold and take home and at the end of the day if it's a product then people can pass it on to other people and that's really cool if, if your book just existed in, in air <laughs> nobody would be able to pass it on or give it to somebody like if you have it in a physical thing which ends up being a product people can pass it on. And unfortunately that product has to have a cover <laughs> and like something that tells people what it is. Um, so yeah, I think, and there's also like interesting things that publishers are doing like Persephone books who who just all, all of their covers are just gray and they have exactly the same font on them. Hmm. And the inside is like different, but the outside is like all the same. And I think that's really interesting, like meta producty thing, yeah. commentary on covers. Um, but um, I don't think, I think your brand is something that like, doesn't have to be two dimensional it can be a bit messy I think my brand's probably a bit messy <laughs> yeah m- my brand's like a lot it's not very clear it's not just like Lena is happy and young and always uses the colour orange <laughs> like kind of do do all of those things but I'm also like I'm angry online mm. I'm like frustrated I'm I like I'm I'm becoming not young. <laughs> I'm going to be 30 this year. So I'm like, can That's, no longer
0: can no longer <laughs> claim
3: the fun youth. Oh, well, from the perspective of the youth, I'm like, can't do that anymore. And like this, you know, I don't always like the color orange. So like, it's not, it doesn't have to be like really clean branding. It just needs to be like a representative of stuff that you are and that you like. And I think in the same way that like your name doesn't represent everything that you are, doesn't mean that it's not part of you and like my online presence is part of me it's not the whole of me and like if somebody took my online presence away i wouldn't be like dead <laughs> in the same way if somebody took your name away and called you something I'll still be the same person so i don't know anyway i think people get too stressed about it basically yeah <laughs> they don't need to be and i think it's good to have like author branding so that people just so people can remember you it's just a really like mechanical like if you if I met you another time and you were like you called yourself a different name I'd be like I thought your name was Simon you'd be like no it's John and I'd be like confused that's all it is it wouldn't be like well I actually like the name Simon it would just be yeah. like I just and the same way with book covers they all need to look kind of the same just so in, from a really lot far away I can see in a shop that your book is over there yeah <laughs> that's all it, and the same with booksellers so that all the books can look the same so they know you know It still looks like a book yeah it doesn't mean you need to be like that good they come good but like there's lots of authors that I love that I don't really like the book covers off but really hasn't played a big part in whether I like them or not or whether I keep buying their books yeah it's just a way that I can recognize the book sorry that was a very long rant Fine. <laughs> I feel, apparently I feel very strongly about branding
0: you do yeah well yeah I mean it's kind of both your careers it's both my have, careers yeah you've been wrapped up in all of that really mm, yeah even if I suppose at the start you didn't necessarily realize
3: I didn't realize at all but maybe that's a good thing mm. Otherwise I would have done it in a weird way. Self consciously. Yes. Maybe. Exactly. Which I did not do that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. If that's so. not already apparent. <laughs> from... <laughs> so
0: where should people go to to find your stuff?
3: My stuff. Um, so uh, my Instagram and Twitter is just Lena Norms. So L W E N A N O R M S. And then um, yeah, because because my branding is really great, you can find everything else I do on both of those platforms, <laughs> uh, just in my pinned tweet. So I have um, a zine that's poetry zine, which is twenty poems I wrote in my twenties, uh, called Doom Rolled in Glitter. Uh, and then my YouTube channel is just called Lena Norms, and I make videos about Mexit and climate change and books and. <laughs> everything you know most of it's based on books and then I, stuff i've learned from books i'll turn into videos i do a podcast called the gumption club i work at vintage books and i produce and present their podcast which is just called vintage books and it's great I have a lot of authors on uh yeah that's that's the, that, them's the stuff i do lots of stuff lots of stuff excellent
0: well thank you very much
2: for your time
1: no problem i enjoyed it thanks for listening and thanks to lena for the chat If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. We're over on Facebook if you search for National Centre for Writing and you can sign up for our newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe because it helps others to find the podcast. Thank you to Vicky for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Simon, as ever, for being my co-host. Hello. Uh, Thanks again to all of you for listening. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.